Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors might provide that roadmap for that journey. On most Thursdays, I am blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Normally on the first Monday, which is today, it's Alan Fox, and we have the good doctor on now. I think he'll be joining us. The second Thursday is Chuck Reese. And then we have people like Dr. John Murray, Coach Scott Williams, Energy Coach Linda LeClaire, Dr. Bryce Young. Well, who knows? Over the last three years, we have been blessed to have people like Nick Saviano, Coach Scott Engie, uh, Coach Ashley Hobson, college coaches and high school coaches, from all over the country, and USTA officials, PTR, and USPTA executives, directors, and Florida's tennis founder and editor, Jim Martz. Excuse me, something in my throat today. Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio and the Yellow Ball Network is that you can listen at any time you choose to the broadcast. On Wednesdays, Chuck Reese American Tennis is going. And on Sundays, it's the coaches' corner with Randy Lumendale. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you're missing out on some useful information. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges. Who knows, together we may make up that sleeping giant called high school tennis. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I have previously expressed, if you disagree, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. Who knows, you may read your views in Florida Tennis or hear them on one of our Coach Denise Tennis Blessings broadcasts. It would not be the first time. Excuse me. Remember that if somebody has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro pro shop, you can always see the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennismagazine. Or in between issues, you can find Jim Mark's articles and sometimes mine as well, as other information on Facebook, just go to FL Tennis and you will be able to see it on Facebook. There's a lot of information. We try to cover most of it in the issues of Florida Tennis Magazine, but uh, there's things that go on in between. And it's a great way to keep up on that is through uh, the um, Facebook site and uh, Twitter and the rest of the social media. I, I Let me introduce uh, our guest because I think I see him there. And then I will give you my commentary. It's a short one uh, today, but um, I do think I see. Doctor, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Alan, it's great to hear you again. Uh, I do have some things I want to go over, but I made a commitment a few months ago, as you know, to do my commentary at the beginning of the broadcast and not at the end. And I'd usually do post it on uh, Saturday, so, uh, but it's a short one today. Uh, so here's today's commentary. In the next issue of Florida Tennis Magazine, you will see my article on American College Scholarships. 
Those of you who read it or listen to last week's Coach Denise Sharon Tennis Blessings heard three mentors discussing the issues and its effects on American tennis. Each week you hear me ask, is tennis an after-school activity at your high school or is it a school sport? Today I received an email from the NCAA to kick off the new high school season and prepare athletes for registration of the eligibility center. And the email, in my opinion, reinforced two positions I had previously expressed. The first being that most high school tennis coaches are part-time employees. And in states like uh, Florida, for instance, they will not even start practice until January, this coming January. And if the players receive the information that was sent to me today, it will not be until then. Uh, hopefully it was sent to the, uh, all the high school coaches, but I doubt that. My second argument is that the abuse of regulations supporting teachers to test to, 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 to excuse me, to regulations supporting teachers to teach to test and not to subject matter, and, and today's computer world, why jobs are being lost to computers, why in the world would the registration fees now be $90? to register for the NCAA Eligibility Center. It blows my mind. I will not share the email with you now with the information, but I will post it on Facebook with my September 6th commentary. I do think you will find the first part of October's uh, Florida tennis article on American college scholarships informative. And if you disagree with me or if you think you have something else that you want to add, please contact me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. Well, that's today's commentary. Um, I must say, uh, Alan, it's um, what an exciting time right now with the U.S. Open. I was torn uh, between what we're going to talk about. Uh, those people that don't get the PTR uh, magazine, I think your article uh, in there just uh, fit right into what's going on now. Uh, but truthfully, the response that I did get, uh, I asked the people on uh, Monday to let me know uh, what they wanted me to talk with you about. And many of them uh-huh. were wanting to your analysis about matches. Have you? Uh, did you get a chance to see last night's matches or any other matches you would like to share information with us with? Well, you know, I I, I would like to say things that that everybody can use. I mean, discuss a topic where there's some uh, learning aspect in it. Uh, not just a description of what happened, uh, you know, from, from Nadal's matches, uh, you know, I've watched a couple of those things, the, the theme match. And the, uh, I forget the match before that was that catching off the, the, yeah. uh, Oh no, the, the no, no, there actually was, uh, I forget another Eastern European who was a big hitter. Uh, he, he's had his struggles. I mean, what, what what you see when when you're watching a doll match is you see somebody that's so motivated on each point that that ultimately he he, he managed to drag his opponent down by the end of it you know often the in the back of the opponent's mind is just weakness and and maybe a little bit of i've had enough uh and so they're not quite willing. Most most players are just not quite willing to focus and concentrate as hard and as long as Nadal, which is it's an interesting one because you would think, you know, the game is uh, more shots and strokes and foot speed and all that, which it is. But you get at this level, and it starts to turn out to be more of a will and courage to to absorb the punishment of, of long matches and, and, and the, the strength to, to continue on. And, and the, the tricky part is it doesn't take very much to lose. 
okay, in, in, in a close set, in a 7-5 set or a 6-4 set, uh, the difference on the average between the winning player and the losing player is four points. That's the, the mm-hmm. average difference. I mean, of course, they're, you know, individually uh, different things happen. But, but it's pretty close. It doesn't take much. And, and so with Nadal going after every single point and maybe an opponent weakening from time to time just a little bit, making an error or two that they shouldn't, uh, that's enough in these matches, these very close ones, to give the nod to Nadal to win the thing. And so even against team, uh, I, I did notice team is, is a rough fighter and he, and he fought all the way to the end, but he had little lapses in the middle here and there. He'd miss a shot or two, or, or I would see, like, I'll give you an example of where I, I, I thought Nadal stood out and, and it made a big difference. And that was, they had, they had this long game on Nadal's serve and, and, I think Thiem may have had an ad or two, and it just kind of went against him. And Nadal got a couple of ads, and then finally on on one of Nadal's ads, I think Nadal missed the first serve, and Thiem just went for a big return and missed it and lost the game. And I was thinking to myself, that's something that Nadal doesn't do. Like on the guy's second serve, no matter what the score is in the game, Nadal's going to – try his darndest to get that ball in the court and, and to play a tough point. It's, it's not going to reflect the score of the game. Whereas with theme, I could see he sort of got tired of the game and, 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 and he had his chances and now he was down and he just took a chance and played a low probability return. That's something that Dahl doesn't do. And it doesn't take many of those to actually win a match. Uh, you know, I thought, Basically, team, you know, had more guns than Nadal. He had more firepower. Uh, Nadal played smarter. Nadal is is probably the best tactician on the tour today, uh, in terms of he, sort of using everything he's got and taking advantage of every opportunity. Uh, he's really good at it. He doesn't leave any money on the table, whereas. Team actually does. He, he's got a few more guns. He can hit deeper off both sides than Nadal. But, uh, you know, he'll miss volleys or he'll lapse on a serve return. And that's enough to keep Nadal in there. And then at the very end, Nadal squeaks him out. You know, I want to make one, one more point, which is somewhat subtle. And that is most people are very aware of being motivated on the big points. Okay, because you know in tennis, some points seem more important than others, which they actually are, but all of them are important, okay? And so sometimes on a little point, people think it doesn't much matter. You can play a low per- percentage play on a small point, and it doesn't make any difference. But that's actually not true. It does make a difference. And, and I'll give you an example. An example would be, like, let's say you're playing and your opponent is serving and has a good serve and is up 30 love. Now, most people at that point would sort of think the game is kind of half lost anyway. You know, you're down and it's the opponent's serve. And so they might try a low percentage return or n- not fight out the point, you know, in, in the highest percentage way they can because they don't think it's that big a point. I mean, if it was a 30-40 point, yeah, everybody knows that big. That's break point. But 30 love point wouldn't seem very big. So they may play low percentage and lose it. Okay. Now it's 40 love. And so the opponent, you know, very, very likely wins the game. And, and you wouldn't even think about it. You wouldn't think that you did something wrong or that anything happened or that you let an opportunity go. You know, you miss a return at 30 love, no big deal. But actually, if, if you play the point the way Nadal would do it, where he, he, he fights out that point as hard as he can, if he wins that, instead of 40 love, it's 30-15, okay? Now he's, he's into the game a bit, okay? That, that very point could turn the game around, and Nadal could get a break out of it. 
And so these are things that you wouldn't know. Uh, actually, it, it, you can't play out two alternative scenarios simultaneously. So you, 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 you wouldn't even know that you had that opportunity, okay? You, but, but you do. And Nadal recognizes that, which is one of his great strengths, is he, he, he recognizes that every point is, is a potential opportunity again. You know, it doesn't, and, and, and just to add to that slightly, uh, you know, on the big points, on the 30, 40 points, or set point, or a big game, you know, where you're serving for the set or the match. Those are all big situations. You may come through or you may not come through. I mean, sometimes you just get nervous or you miss. The key, though, is to give yourself more opportunities. It's not necessarily to come through on the first opportunity you have. The, the, the focus, the best focus to have is on, on getting more opportunities and being prepared to get more opportunities if you don't uh, immediately come through on the first one. You know, a lot of people think, well, they, they, they miss their chance, and then they get discouraged. Well, there's nothing right. to be discouraged about if you're looking for more opportunity. You know, right. you've had game point, it's back to deuce, try to give yourself another opportunity. So, anyway, at that point, uh, I've been noticing... Uh, just watching these Nadal matches, you know, very interesting. Uh, it is. Uh, I don't. Huh? Sorry, go on. Go ahead. No, I was just going to no, say, I just, uh, Djokovic. I'm not sure what's going on with him. <laughs> they, you know, it was interesting last night. I was thinking. I I didn't get a chance to read. Uh, your article in uh, PTR uh, magazine uh, to about 10 days ago, but, uh, you know, you talked about controlling the air and emotions in tennis. And, you know, just great reminders. I mean, a lot of that stuff uh, I remember coming from your book, Winning the Mental Match. Uh, but thinking about it, I always struggled myself and wondering, you know, uh, how f- much physically training do you do? Because how much of your physical energy when you lose affects your emotional uh, energy that you have in the body? And uh, I, t- I was watching that match last night at 2-2 when the Australian um, uh, player uh, had to change his clothes. I thought that Djokovic was just as much. I thought he was emotionally drained there. That that was how I was reading that. I thought that was going to be a five-step match. So it shows you how smart I was. Well, I, th- what I was starting out to say about Djokovic is I, I'm not sure I figured out what's going on with him. I mean, when I was watching that match uh, yesterday, uh, he seemed to be very tired very quickly, very early. I don't know if you recall, he was sort mm-hmm. of drooping around by the second set, you know, and you ha- you had the feeling if his opponent, you know, could keep him out there, keep him working, maybe uh, maybe he would collapse as Federer did, you know, the night before. Uh, but then, as the as it went on, Djokovic looked fresher and fresher. By the end, he looked fine. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, I and, thought and, after and so, that, after the change of clothes, I th- I thought psychologically he was strained, and I thought that was a bigger break for him uh, because I think that his his game is sitting there playing. He's going to outplay you. He's just more consistent than the average player. And this kid, well, I shouldn't say kid. He's twenty-one, twenty-eight, but. The young man just felt like he could play with him, and I think that Djokovic was getting stressed by that. He's saying this this guy, after a while, he was winning the long points. Well, I'll tell you the way I saw it. The way I saw it was that it was a a slight carryover from Djokovic's match uh, against uh, Tennis Sandgren. Okay. Against Sandgren... Uh Djokovic had beaten him easily the last time they played, and he went out uh, kind of 
not taking Sandrin 100% seriously like he could possibly lose to him. And so mm-hmm. he kind of slopped around and moped around a bit. Uh, I mean, he beat him, but it was, you know, Sandgren actually, uh, I think, won, maybe even won a set ultimately with, with Djokovic kind of uh, jerking around out there, not really uh, playing 100% uh, and, and giving his opponent the respect to play with 100% intensity the whole time. And I felt there was a bit of that in this match as well. You know, he comes out there, and the guy, these guys, you know, they are in the quarterfinals of, of the Open. So, so, you know, I hate to say it, but I have a, a, a sort of a mental block as to his, his opponent's name. You may have it. <laughs> I know. But anyway, uh, he, you know, I, I felt he went out there with not quite enough respect for his opponent. And then it's kind of hot, and then his opponent has the nerve to, to try to make a match of it, to be running around and hitting balls. And, and, and I thought Djokovic didn't react well. I, I, I thought he was, I mean, he, he wasn't as tired as he looked. He was more just sort of uh, slightly off that, that, that his opponent wasn't just uh, kneeling down right away, that he was actually mm-hmm. fighting it out with him. You know, this, this lesser player had the gall. And so... Uh, you know, and once once they got into the third, then he decided to put the hammer down more. I mean, his his concentration was only fair throughout the match. I mean, he made a lot of mistakes that he wouldn't have made if he were 100% intense the whole way. And 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 I don't think it was the heat that did it either. I mean, it's a factor. I mean, maybe he feels hot. And, and, and it's kind of uncomfortable. And then this opponent that should be kneeling over, it has the gall to try to fight it out with him. Uh, so that, that, that was my take on it. I mean, I thought uh, Djokovic could have pulled himself together at any time. You know, uh, I, I don't even think, it, you know, I don't, I don't know what would have made him do it or not do it. They pull himself together. Maybe the change of clothes. Maybe just the fact that he's up two sets and he, he he's like the horse going back to the barn, you know. Mm-hmm. Wants wants to get it done, get off. Uh, so th- that's the way I thought Djokovic. I I I don't know what's with Djokovic. I mean, uh, I uh, just what I've seen so far. You know, he 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 hasn't been the kind of competitor that that a Nadal is or, or, or even a team. Yeah. He's just been better than the guys he played. He's had a very lucky draw actually. You know, the, the dangerous players are, uh, he's not run into them. Which, which would bring me to one more thought that I had uh, about, uh-huh. about the, about the format. And, and that is, and this is totally, uh, what should I say? Against, the old guard against, you know, against the way things have always been. But I don't think they should be playing three out of five sets in these matches. I think two out of three sets would be fine with the audience. I mean, often the three out of five just becomes kind of a grind when one player is better than the other, just have to finish them off. It, it just, uh, I think two out of three sets is compact. And it's enough. Uh, yes, it is not as great a, a, a uh, test of tennis as three out of five, but but there is an audience to be considered. Point one and point two. There's there's uh, the fairness aspect to be considered. And and, I, and here's where this comes up. I look at Nadal, and he's had a very very difficult draw. Okay, he's gone. Four, or, uh, you know, even with uh, Kachanov, I guess I, that's how you pronounce it, the big Russian, uh, that was a, a four-and-a-half-hour, four-set match. Then he had another four-plus hours, and then theme five hours plus. So he's had all these hours on the court, uh, and, and Djokovic hasn't. Djokovic has had, you know, easy three-setters all along. It, it, and the point I'm getting at is with three out of five sets, one player 
through getting a, a more difficult draw, can get the heck beaten out of him. By the time he gets to the quarters of the semis, he, he, he can have his body beaten up pretty good, uh, which is very unfair. I don't think it's necessary that, that to go through five sets because I, Nadal's had three very nasty ones. Uh, so I think he well, comes in. We used in. to call that the luck of the draw, and uh, I respectfully uh, disagree with you because I think in all sports uh, the athlete is, uh, is the name of the game. If it's baseball, if it's uh, soccer, whatever it is, it's the athlete is standing up. Uh, about in, earlier in the year, I think it was in January, somebody commented on one of the last um, yesterday on one of the posts what Coach Denise said in January, and they were comparing why these young players. And I, my view was that we had athletes playing tennis players, and when these young athletes become tennis players, then – us old guys, and I shouldn't say, not, I shouldn't say us because I was never in that category, but those great old guys like Federer and Nadal and uh, Murray and all those guys are all going to be passed because today we have athletes coming up. And I think that when we sit there and lose, the, when we're no longer an athletic uh, experience out there, I just don't know how long we'll have the game of tennis around. So I think it affects Davis Cup. I think I discussed in last week about college uh, tennis. Uh, I'm not going to be around to see it. Um, and, you know, not that I'm in no hurry uh, to leave the earth. Uh, hopefully I'm going to be around for another 20 years or so. But the Almighty will make that decision. But I just, uh, you know, I don't think whenever we make things easier, I don't think we make it better. I, we do make it more convenient. And it is easier for the audience, but I think the athlete is a special person. You're you're missing my point, John, I think. And that is my point is not to make it easier. My point is is to make it fair. Okay. In other words, why should one athlete have to face another athlete when he's heavily disadvantaged? Okay. I mean, you want to to have a level playing field as much as possible so that you can actually see who the better player is. Now, if one player has spent 12 hours on the court, on on a hard court being beaten up, and the others has spent five hours and they match off, you're you're unfairly – and that's not – you know, I mean, you can just have the luck of the draw – but if it was two out of three sets, the luck of the draw can't be that debilitating for any of the for either of the players. Is the point I'm getting at? I'm not. I, I don't think two out of three sets is all that easy either against a good player. But the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, you wouldn't want to see a play one player have to go out there and 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 start every every set out down two games. I mean, you wouldn't think that was fair. In other words, you're, you're looking for an even playing field, right? Well, I think I'm not looking for even playing field because I don't think there is no such thing in life. This is why I, I think sports is such a great thing because it resembles life. There is no even playing field. You've got to overcome. Well, well, well let me give you the ultimate. The ultimate example would be would be Wimbledon, where they not only have three out of five sets, but they have uh, no tiebreaker in the fifth. So right now you get a match. That's really the best way to do it. If you want the best player, uh, you know, let them fight it out for three days. Why not? Uh-huh. That's the ultimate. Okay. And so now you got Isner who wins uh, against Mahout in three days. And, and, you know, I don't know how many hours on the court. He can't even play the next day. Now, that just makes no sense to me. I mean, he's out of the tournament, even though he won the match. Because he had his body took such a pounding, uh, I, I see that as somewhat of what I'm arguing against. I, I, I think they should definitely have a tiebreaker in the fifth at Wimbledon, but on top of it, I think three out of five. I'm just looking at some player, uh, through no fault of his own, you know, being terribly disadvantaged, and so some lesser player wins the tournament. 
due to the fact that his opponent has had the heck beaten out of him. Well, let's take the other side of that there, Ellen, and you you talk about the fans and being boring and everything. To me, uh, one of the most boring (laughs) games is the game of baseball until we get to the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and then it becomes exciting because we don't know what the outcome is. We don't know who's going to come in. We don't know who the relief pitcher is, and we don't know the outcome. What you're suggesting, most most gamblers would like it because we we do get we don't know who the winner is going to be. The best athlete uh, it doesn't have as great as chances winning. So the uh, the odds makers uh, sure sure love it. They get rich. The ITF loves it because they're getting money from uh, them. But I'm just not mm-hmm. so sure. That that's what athletes is about, and I think that what we're seeing in other sports is we're seeing the athlete come in, and I do think we're seeing it in tennis too. I think we have a lot of great young athletes, and uh, as soon as they learn to control their emotions and everything, I think it could be great, and I don't think we should uh, take the game back, but. That's just my opinion, and you have yours, and that's what makes the world so wonderful is that uh, the two (laughs) of us can sit and uh, discuss it. Uh, Let me ask you another question, if I can. I just uh, I loved your article in uh, the PTR, Controlling Air and Emotions in Tennis, and that got me to my first statement about Djokovic, and I – Truthfully, when I came from basketball where we ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. And when I came to tennis, I thought, well, it's an anaerobic sport and we don't have to run as much. So uh, I bought into that there because I didn't, uh, I was a new kid on the uh, block uh, 30-some years ago. So I bought into that thinking. And then eventually, in my own mind, I'm always struggling with, does your fatigue affect your emotional game? And uh, and you addressed that some in your coaching view in the article. But I just, you know, I look at Djokovic. Was he as tired or was he mentally fatigued because this player was, you know, a 26-ball rally and he loses the point? Who would have thought that? Well, that, that's certainly part of the game, and that's probably not the first 26-ball uh, rally that he's ever lost. I mean, if, if you're going to be uh, the U.S. Open champion or you're going to be a champion, I mean, you play those long rallies, you win them, you lose them, they're physically tough, you've you, you got to be ready to keep playing. I, I, here's what I, I, the physical does affect the emotional and vice versa, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think that, and which I sort of said at the, at the beginning of our conversation, I, I thought Djokovic has been going out on the court, you know, mentally or emotionally with his head a little bit up his ass, if you'll excuse the expression. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, he, he, he hasn't gone out there like and been all business and out there to beat the heck out of the opponent as quickly as possible, to win every point, and, and, and to hold himself together and stand up and just duke it out. He's been sort of playing games with himself, you know, moping here and looking tired there, but he's not. He, he couldn't, by the way, just as an aside, I was thinking, he couldn't be that tired in the second set. I mean, these guys train, you know, off the court more than on it. They're in unbelievably good shape. And so Djokovic has had nothing but easy matches. So how tired could he be in, in 40 minutes of tennis or an hour or something? It, 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 it isn't possible. And so I, I think he was looking tired because he, he wasn't really that ready to play. He thought it should be easier, which is a, a bad attitude. That's an attitude that gets you in trouble unless you're a lot better than your opponent. And, and, and even then it can get you in trouble. Uh, so that, you know, Djokovic, I don't know what's with him. Uh, I've lost a lot of respect for him during this tournament, I must say. Uh, I, 
I, I thought more highly of them before uh, as a competitor. And, you know, I was sort of, he did a great job at Wimbledon, you know, fighting through against Nadal and so forth. Uh, but I, I, I was uh, sort of un, unpleasantly surprised that he treated Sandgren disrespectfully and, and, and somewhat mil- like Millman. He, he, he didn't have enough respect for Millman. Point two, in my opinion. Now, I'm not in the man's head, so I don't know. But just looking from the outside, it didn't look like he went in there, you know, I'm going to fire all my guns from the first point. You know, he was using the drop shot a lot, okay? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a shot you use. It's not a high percentage shot to be used a lot, you know, right. a little bit. But but that struck me as, you know, as a a sign of him disrespecting his opponent, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was confused, too, truthfully. And I thought when uh, Millman asked for that, uh, you know, break there at 2-2 games, uh, you know, truthfully, I said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to stay up all night on the East Coast. <laughs> Us old people are yeah. tired. I, said, I'm a, I asked uh, Bobby, I said, do we, do, can I watch this in the morning? And then when he asked <laughs> for that break, I thought it was more advantage for Djokovic. And I said, oh, i got to stay up now. I just, because Djokovic, I just thought was mental, you know, emotionally fatigued. He's arguing with his his corner about mixing the wrong drinks and everything I'm saying. And when that happened, I'm saying, every, you know, the commentary was, well, he's not objecting to it. I'm saying to myself, heck no, why should he object to it? This is a chance for him to get rejuvenated. And I don't think, I don't know if it was physically, but I don't think emotionally, he, you know, I didn't feel he was in it at all. Yeah, I, I, I just thought he disrespected his opponent. That that was the trouble with it. I mean, that's the the overview as far as I'm concerned. I mean, mm-hmm. he he could go in and he played sort of a in and a half in half out match. I mean, fortunately for him, I guess he's so much he's so much better than Millman anyway that Millman's not going to be able to beat him no matter what. I don't think he thought in his mind Millman could beat him no matter what he did. That that that's the way it looked to me. Like he could go in and out of the match and mope and this and that and grouse at his at his corner and so forth and and yet still think he's going to win it. You know, I think mm-hmm. if he was a, if if he if he uh, had taken it totally seriously as a potential loss and he better hump up a hundred percent. You know, you would have seen a different guy out. There. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 well, that's, that's right. it ought to be a heck of a, you know, a heck of a weekend coming up. I mean, uh, I, I think uh, the game of tennis, uh, only in this country, when you look at the rest of the world, you know, soccer is number one, but, you know, tennis is such a major sport in the rest of the world. And, and, and unfortunately, in this country, uh, we see baseball just running away now, uh, in uh, other sports, uh, you know, just climbing up there. I just, I don't know. I guess I'm wondering if, if, if coaches like me that were in uh, high school and in uh, developmental camps, uh, I do a lousy job. Uh, what, you know, what, why aren't we, you know, have more American players competing? Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm sure that we will have you know, some great American players coming up. It'll be very sudden. Doesn't take long. Suddenly somebody's going to pop up. So uh, I'm, I'm not concerned about American tennis all in, in the long run. I mean, even no matter what the USTA does or the association, we have so many pros and so many courts and, and, and so many people somewhere along the line, you know, somebody very good is going to come up. So, Mm-hmm. That's that you know I I don't have you know problems with American tennis that 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 we're doing something wrong I'm not sure really what we would do differently actually I'm not sure the USTA has has really control of whether we're going to get another great player or not I mean you know I've heard a lot of theories on 
why we're not producing, you know, uh, as many good players as Spain or, or, or some of the European countries, you know, you have to say why, maybe it's just our culture. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that, that the, the USTA really knows, you know, why we haven't come up with somebody recently. Uh, but my guess is we ultimately will. You know, I, yeah, I just don't I, think I, we, we know how to do it. I, I, I don't think we really know how to do it at this point. How to make it happen, I guess, is what I'm driving at. It, it, it'll sort of happen beside, despite ourselves. Well, Coach, if you're 10 years younger, Coach, and you got uh, a major uh, university offers you such a great deal, you got to go back in there coaching again. Let me ask you a question. Are you more concerned about your players' emotions or your players' conditioning? Uh, emotions would come way number one. <laughs> they, they can drive themselves. If, if you're in there hard enough, you can drive yourself past uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of tiredness and exhausted. You you know, I mean, at one time I actually hard to believe I used to play this game, and and I can remember many a match where I was extremely tired. For instance, I was playing in the finals of a tournament in San Juan, Puerto Rico, three out of five sets. A guy named Mark Cox, uh, and and. It went the full five. It started about noon in, in, at the end of May, beginning of June. It was a million degrees, and it was, you know, the humidity was very, very high. And in those days, we were told, if you can believe this, we were told not to drink, okay, which, of course, <laughs> makes no sense at all. You know, but so I was out there trying not to drink, playing three out of five in a million degrees. And I was dragging for the last two and a half sets. Okay. I mean, I would be totally winded at the end of a point. And then I just walk slowly and stall around a little play, take as much time as I could take some deep breaths and then go play the next point. And it was very, very painful. Okay. It was painful for about two hours plus the last two hours, but, but you do it. You can do it if you're emotionally willing and, and you're driven enough, you can do it. So, and I've seen players that are in great shape and everything is good and their emotions are off and they're out of there in 45 minutes. You know, the emotions, yeah. if they get bad, you're probably going to lose. You know, you're probably going to lose if the emotions get out of whack negative. Uh, but if, if, if you're emotionally strong, you can play past real exhaustion. That, that's why I felt Federer uh, didn't tell us the whole story either. I mean, he, 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 he claimed that it was the heat. Well, that's hard to, hard to believe. I mean, I'm sure the heat was a factor. No question. It was nasty and, you know, somewhat debilitating. But he could have driven himself through it, I believe. You know, and I don't believe he wanted to. I think, I don't know for what reasons. I'm not in the man's head. But I'll tell you a couple of things he could have done, which he didn't. For one thing, if, if you're in that kind of heat and humidity and you're starting to feel like it's getting to you, what you would do is you would call for the, the ball boys or the ball people to get you a towel and fill it with ice cubes and put it around your neck every time you change sides to lower your body temperature, okay? You could even, I mean, I used my teams when I was coaching Pepperdine. We would go uh, play in 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 uh, in Georgia, in Athens, in June, and it was hot and humid and rough, and my players would take bandanas, put a couple of ice cubes in it, and tie it around their neck and play with it. I mean, there are things you can do if you really want to stay out there. I mean, right. you you stall and you go slow and you drink a lot and you put ice. I mean, you pour ice water over your head if you have to. 
I mean, if he was that bad off, I would have taken a bucket of ice water and poured it on my head, you know, just to cool my body down. If if the heat was that debilitating that you can't, you know, you miss every other ball, that's that's no deal. I mean, if you you know, and Federer was okay. He was serving 5-4, 40-15 up. He's up a set and serving for the second. But he never really uh, got down and dirty in the points. Okay? Right. You know, he, he got into that stage not serving well and, and, and sort of just slashing and burning, you know, hitting a talented shot here and a great shot there and so forth, but no blocking and tackling, none of the real – uh, grind it up stuff. And so then at, at 5 4, 40 15, he, he, he just, you know, he wanted to win that game. So now he tries to play a couple normal points. He hadn't been doing that. And so he missed right away. He didn't sort of have the, the, the heart of his game functioning yet. And so then he gets down, he gets down a set. And I don't think he was ready to play from the beginning either. And so. He was, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what happened to him, but, but I find it hard to believe that a player that could be in his kind of condition could, could totally run out of steam, you know, in, in, in a set and a half or two sets. And, 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 and not be able to do anything about it. You have the game now. I guess it's hard to uh, understand when you have a, um, you know, you have children and, uh, there's so many other outside factors. Is tennis still, yeah. you know, a competition or not? I don't know. Or, or are you still willing to pay the price in terms of pain? Okay. Right. The doll, the doll is willing to be, to be tortured. I mean, he's willing to, t- he'll take the pain. Uh, there's a certain amount of pain involved and, and, you know, maybe Federer's too rich to have to take it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it Good was a point. You don't know. You were not in their yeah. shoes. That's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, he did a deal, I forget, with what company where I think he's he, he's talking uh, a couple hundred million dollars over 10 years. I mean, yeah. he, he, he's a very rich boy, that's for sure. So yeah. maybe it's he hard doesn't to, hard to measure. It's hard to Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You don't know. Yeah, you judge from the outside. You look, I mean, of course, you're never in their head. And, and they, they are public figures, so they may not tell you the absolute fact. They, they, they right. do need to speak for public consumption somewhat. So you can't totally take what they say, uh, you know, as gospel. Uh, in these press conferences, you know, True. I don't think Federer could, I don't think if Federer could walk out there and say, you know, I, I got a lot of money. I just not up for the pain, for the pain and the trouble. Yeah. He couldn't say that whether that's no. true or not. I don't know, but, but he has to say, well, the heat was debilitating and Milman was just too tough, which of course, I, you know, both of them are partly true. <laughs> I don't know about hundred yep. percent truth. Yeah, there's truth in everything, but if it's the whole truth, who knows? I wish that I had. Uh, we had this conversation uh, about twenty some years ago. During the twenty years of coaching high school tennis, I would uh, before practice, I would always tell the story. Well, I'd always say challenge. I'd always tell the, my players challenge me. Where I come, if you don't understand what I'm saying, ask me to explain. I'm going to give you the truth the way I perceive the truth to be, but uh-huh. you should uh-huh. be challenging me to make sure the, where did I get the information from. So I would tell them a uh-huh. story that when I was in high school like you, I would sit there, they would tell us not to drink water, and I would get the hose because we didn't have water fountains or anything, and I'd be sitting with the uh-huh. hose and... The coach would be yelling, Denise, are you drinking water? And I'd go, spit that out. And, uh, and the kids would go, oh, come on, coach. So who would tell you not to drink water? I said, that's what I'm trying to explain to you. We didn't know then. You think he was mad at me, was trying to kill me? 
We know today what can happen, but in those days they didn't know, but they used to tell people don't drink that. We used to have to have, when I was in the Marine Corps, we would get a steak dinner before a meal, before a football game. Uh, you know, we don't do that no more either. So uh, so I loved your story about Puerto Rico because I was saying, gee, I would have taped this and give it to the kids because uh, the kids would always say, oh, come on, coach, you're exaggerating. I said, no, I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, I mean, actually, I have to confess that by the end of these matches, I actually would fold. I would want to drink more than I would want to win the match, actually. <laughs> and, 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 and so I would actually drink. I, I, right. I would say, the heck with it. I, you know, I, I, I'm drinking whether it kills me or it doesn't. I mean, it, 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 it was incredibly stupid. Now, here's the funniest. I'll give you one of the funnier parts of it. You know, I, I was a physiological psychologist. I was trained in physiology more than uh-huh. clinical psychology. Okay, and and you want to know what I did my dissertation on? My all my research was on thirst, thirst and fluid and electrolyte balance. Okay, exactly what was happening on the tennis court. What I was doing with animals, I was measuring uh, how salty their body became, and I could uh, I could measure uh, what happened when they drank how quickly it got into their system and so forth. And, and, you know, I was doing experiments that involved this very thing of being water deprived. And, and, and so I knew very well what was, what was happening. And yet I, 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 I was so indoctrinated by the old guard. I, I used to practice mm-hmm. with Pancho Gonzalez. Gonzalez would tell me, don't you drink, you'll end up with stomach cramps. <laughs> I, I, you know, he was a great player, so I listened to him, <laughs> even though my research would have told me differently. You know? uh-huh. In fact, when Gatorade came out, uh, I thought to myself, that's a great idea, you know, because it fit in with everything I had learned. And that is that you, you actually absorb uh, the fluid quicker if it, if it has some salt in it. You know, and, right. and, and and secondly, you're losing salt along with the the fluid, with the water, and so you need a certain amount of salt. And so oh. Gatorade was a gr- a great idea, you know, uh, but yet h- here I was playing matches and trying not to drink. It just anyway, that's that's old history. I, mean, I guess my opponent had the same problems. They weren't drinking. Oh either. yeah. So yeah. So well, that's why surprising. I do believe. I do believe these young athletes today have, uh, you know, better. Not that the coaches are, uh, you know, any better than you were or anybody else, but we just have so much more knowledge that we can share, and now we have so much more on the computer and everything. And uh, I just wish I got into the 21st century a little sooner with the computers, but life is what it is. Yeah, well, I wish I had understood the mental game when I was playing as well as I understand it now. would have made my life right. easier. But, you know, unfortunately, we tend to learn through experience, which is the hard way. And so true, true. It, 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 actually, back in, in, in those days, there wasn't any sports psychology when I was playing. Never heard of it. No. And so there wasn't any sports psychologist to go to. Uh, nope. So I, I guess I guess I didn't I didn't miss something that was available. It just wasn't available at the time. Kind of. And I wonder what sports psych. Yeah, and I think sports psychology is coming back, and, and a lot of it I think is common sense. I remember when I was coaching basketball. I used to have a coach, an assistant coach, and I won't name the name, but everybody used to say, what do you have that guy for? He knows nothing about basketball. Well, in my opinion, he didn't have to know anything about basketball because, truthfully, I was, you know, we all changed. Well, I shouldn't say that. I changed as a coach, but I was an in-your-face guy. I first started coaching in the Marine Corps, so it was a lot easier to coach in the Marine Corps because if you told somebody to do something, they did it. Uh, 
Uh, when I got out <laughs> and I started dealing with school kids, they go, but why, coach? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's a different world. But I would get in people's face, and truthfully, I did some things that I'm ashamed of today, but uh, 55 years ago, it was a different world out there. But his job was, Lou knew that he had, when I got in somebody's face and walked away, he would be walking right up to that individual and he'd be going, you know why Coach Denise is upset with you, right? And he'd be sitting there, and, you know, sports psychology tells us to do truthfully what I think most of us good coaches were doing years and years ago. Yeah, sports psychology, uh, you know, is more motivation than it is information, okay? For instance, the sports, if you analyze what you really need to do, if you can just get the player to not get upset when they make mistakes and to keep a long-term view and to try to keep themselves unbalanced rather than getting either angry or depressed or negative, that's all obvious. Everybody knows that. I mean, you're not telling anybody anything new. The trouble is getting them to do it. It was what the sports psychologist actually brings to the party, weirdly enough, is, is motivation rather than information. In other words, when the guy goes to a sports psychologist, he's already admitting that he needs to change something. Okay, when he goes to the sports psychologist, obviously it's not working the way it's the way he's doing. So he's already come to the to the term to terms with the idea that he's going to need a change. And then the sports psychologist tells him, you know, (laughs) essentially, you know, don't get emotional. You know, don't get negative when things go bad. It's a short run deal, and it can turn around in a minute if you don't get upset about it. I mean, he tells the, the, the person stuff that the guy knows already. I mean, right. you don't have to be a sports psychologist to understand that when you, you get angry, when you make mistakes, all that's going to happen is you're going to make more mistakes. You know, uh, the, 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 which, what a sports psychologist or a coach is up against is the emotional system of the player, which is, is, is made to, to make him angry when he doesn't get what he wants called frustration. I mean, it's a natural reaction. So when, when, when things are going wrong, yeah, you get mad. That's, if you don't control it, that's exactly what you're going to do, what everybody will do. Or when, when you're down and things have gone against you all afternoon, you get discouraged, of course. That's natural. Uh, and so it doesn't take a genius to, to know not to do that, it, but it takes motivation to go against the emotional system and, and, and to remember it when, you, when you're getting emotional. Coach, we've gone through the whole broadcast again already. It's just uh, the only trouble with talking with you is that the time goes by too fast. I think I enjoy it. Uh, maybe I enjoy it too much if there's such a thing. But I appreciate you uh, giving your time to the audience again. I would remind everybody that next week uh, our mentor will be uh, Chuck Reese. I would also remind you that the great thing about Block Talk Radio is you can tune in anytime you want. So tell your friends about it. Tell your friends to uh, uh, tune in next week, and I will share this with uh, the the people that I know. And all you have to do is just click on that uh, Yellow Ball Network, and you'll be able to start listening. Alan, would you mind telling the people how to get in touch with you? They can uh, get to me uh, through my uh, website, which is alanfoxtennis.com, uh, or they can email me at alanfoxfox, twice my last name, at msn.com. Um, I do consulting on the mental issues. If uh, people want to buy my books, they're available on Amazon. It's Tennis, Winning the Mental Match, or Think to Win. Uh, Both of them are are on Amazon and also at Tennis Warehouse. Uh, And the cheapest way is on Kindle. 
although uh, Think to Win isn't available on Kindle, but winning the metal match is. Okay, folks, you heard it now. Have a blessed week. I look forward with our conversation again next week, and uh, the almighty Willen will have another conversation. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thanks, John. See ya. Thanks.